Welcome to LifeBridge Online. Whenever it is that you're watching this, whatever you might be doing right now, we are grateful that you are allowing us to be part of your life and that you're allowing us to minister to you. We are in week 16 of a 52-week journey through some of the most important passages in all of Scripture. And, and I know what you're thinking right now. Well, wait a minute. All Scripture is important. And you're right, it is. Uh, you know, Timothy, uh, Paul wrote to Timothy and he says that all scripture is from God and it's, it, it's useful. And, and Hebrews reiterates that, how it's alive and it's active and, and it can do some major things. And, and, and so it's unfair, I get it, to say that all scripture, you know, these are, are some of the most important passages. But here's the thing, these 52 passages uh, through this journey that we are on, they help us get the big picture of God's plan of redemption for his people. All people who accept the invitation to follow him as Lord and Savior will be redeemed. And so these 52 passages, they, they give us the big picture of, of what God is doing this. As I record this, it's April 15th, and, and I know uh, for many of us that's a, a, a tax day, uh, fortunately. Uh, taxes have we have a little bit of a, a postponement with that but in Alabama we are 12 days uh, away from having the 10-year anniversary of the tragic event where our state had 62 confirmed tornadoes touched down in one 24-hour period 62 different tornadoes touchdown in our state in 24 hours. And with that, uh, we had three of those tornadoes were EF5s. And th those are the, the largest, the most destructive tornadoes. Uh, eight of those tornadoes were EF4s. And there was devastation all over the place. And you couldn't drive very far in our state without finding indescribable amounts of damage. Some of you listening can vividly remember that day and the weeks that followed. Entire communities were destroyed. People were displaced. And everyday life as we knew it came to a halt. As bad as this day was for the state of Alabama and people across the South, it still doesn't really compare to the feeling that the prophet Jeremiah had as he finally just broke down and wept over his city and the destruction and the ruin that was taking place in Jerusalem. The Babylonians came and they plundered and Jeremiah wept. Now here's the thing, it was, uh, if you know the story, if you know church history or, or Old Testament history, uh, between 609 and 586 BC, the Babylonians laid siege to Jerusalem, taking what they wanted, enslaving the people of Judah. They installed a, a puppet king for those who were left. And, and throughout the duration of that, there was great turmoil, there was great suffering. And in 586, King Nebuchadnezzar came he burned and he destroyed the entire city to the ground. What he could not burn to the ground, he destroyed. He took all the wealth, everything that had been accumulated from the, 
from the kings of old, everything that was there, the pristine temple of God, they were all stolen and it was all demolished. 23 years, think about that, 23 years of pillage, of hardship, of destruction. Jeremiah is weeping for his people. His burden isn't over the physical loss of all the treasures, though. That's the interesting thing about this. His burden is that the people of Judah have forsaken God. They have turned their backs on him, and they have broken the covenant that God made with Moses centuries before. Here's the covenant in a nutshell. Uh, if you go back to Exodus, God is speaking to Moses on Mount Sinai. We are two months away from, uh, two months removed from uh, being set free from the bondage of Pharaoh. And so the plan is that the people have been released from Egypt, released from slavery, and they're on their way to the promised land, and they stop in the desert of Mount Sinai, or of Sinai. They're going to kind of have a meeting. God's thinking that I'm going to establish my rules for my nation, for this Hebrew nation. As we get to the promised land and I set you guys up, you, you need rules uh, that uh, is going to keep you separate, keep you different from other pagan countries who surround the promised land. If you have your Bibles, you can turn with me to Exodus chapter 19, starting in verse 4. Moses is listening as God talks. You have seen what I did to the Egyptians. You know how I carried you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, if you will obey me and keep my covenant, you will be my own special treasure from among all the peoples on earth, for all the earth belongs to me. You will be my kingdom of priests, my holy nation. This is the message you must give to the people of Israel. And, and I encourage you, if you have your Bibles after this, go back and read the rest of chapter 19 and 20 to get the full picture of what is taking place here. But in this covenant, God is telling the people that they will be his own special treasure from all the other people on earth. They will be his kingdom of priests. And here's what all this means. God wants to establish his people, the people that he treasures, the people that he values. He wants to establish them to become a nation that other nations want to be part of. Like, like that's what God wants with the Israelites. He wants to set them up and he wants to establish them to be so successful that other nations want to be part of them. And he says that you will be my kingdom of priests. And, and that means that the nation of Israel will be the go-between. They will be the, the mediators for other nations and God. Israel's part of the covenant that God is making is that they will obey the Lord. And, and in Exodus chapter 20, God gives them the Ten Commandments that they are to, to obey. Th these are the rules. So verses 4, 5, and 6, God tells Moses, 
I want to be your people. I want to be your God. I want you to be my people. I want you to be set up in the, uh, in the promised land as a nation set apart. Here's some, here's some defining laws, 10 of them, that I want you to obey. And I, and I want you to be a kingdom of priests that other people will see, they will want to be part of, and you guys will be the mediators between me and them. If you've been following along in this journey, uh, week four of this, we've already talked about the covenant. A covenant is a binding agreement between two parties. And so that's what's taking place on the mountainside. Israel, however, they couldn't hold to the terms set by God. They sinned, and they sinned often. Often forsaking God, and forgetting who he is and all he has done. Fast forward now to, to Jeremiah a few centuries later. God is fed up. He's done. He's tired of this. And he allows the Babylonians to come and to raid Jerusalem. The covenant has been broken too many times. And God is done. And Jeremiah is distraught. That's why he is known as the weeping prophet, because he's weeping over the people who God has forgotten. But here's the beautiful thing about God. He may be fed up. And in this moment in time, he, he may be willing to let them enter back into bondage. But he's not done. God is not done with humanity. He's not done with these people. If you have your Bibles, our, our verse for the week is Jeremiah 31, verses 33 and 34, but I want to start in verse 31. So Jeremiah 31, 31. The day is coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and Judah. This covenant will not be like the one I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand and brought them out of the land of Egypt. They broke that covenant. Though I love them as a husband loves his wife, says the Lord, but this is the new covenant I will make with the people of Israel after those days, says, says the Lord. I will put my instructions deep within them. I will write them on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. They will not need to teach their neighbors, nor will they need to teach their relatives, saying, You should know the Lord. For everyone, from the least to the greatest, will know me already, says the Lord, and I will forgive their wickedness, and I will never again remember their sins. The day is coming when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and Judah, the people broke the old covenant that I made with them. I mean, that's, that's what took place, right? Even though I loved them as a husband loves a wife. But this new covenant I will make with them in the future. This time, it's going to be different. Their covenants are not going to be the same. As a matter of fact, he tells us right here, instead of writing my instructions on tablets, made of stone, I will put my covenants made deep within them. I will write them on their hearts. I will be their God. They will be my people. Everyone can know me from the least important to the greatest person alive. 
I will forgive their wickedness, and I will forget their sin. So this is the new covenant. This is the new covenant that God tells Jeremiah is going to come in the days ahead. So as we think about this new covenant, I mean, Israel couldn't live up to the old covenant, and God got to the place, and he, he said, I've had enough. I'm, I'm done with you. I'm going to instill a new covenant. I'm going to make a new covenant available to people. Remember, a, a covenant is something that's a, it's a binding agreement between two, two parties. So what are the terms? What are the terms of this new covenant that God is talking about? Well, we got to think big picture with God. And we know that in God's universe, the universe that we live in, Exodus 5 and 6 tell, tell us that, right? You will be the prized people of earth the earth that I made, the earth that I control. We know that in God's universe, a blood sacrifice is needed. It's needed for sin. Jesus tells us in Mark chapter 14, you probably read this within the last couple of weeks as we came into the Easter season and many communion, uh, Holy Week communion messages are centered around this passage. Mark 14, verse 22. As they were eating, Jesus took some bread and blessed it. Then he broke it in pieces and gave it to his disciples saying, take it for this is my body. And he took a cup of wine and gave thanks to God for it. He gave it to them and they all drank from it. And he said to them, this is my blood, which confirms the covenant between God and his people. It is poured out as a sacrifice for many. By going to the cross, Jesus confirms that he is the blood sacrifice. And he tells us right there as he told those disciples that night, the new covenant happens through his blood. The new covenant happens through the blood of Jesus. Through the blood of Jesus Christ, we receive grace. We receive mercy. We, we receive forgiveness. We receive love. Through the blood of Jesus Christ and what took place there, he offers to you and I a better life as we try to become like him. He offers eternal life for you and I when we take our last breath on earth. All of that comes through the blood of Jesus Christ. That sums up pretty much in a, in a quick nutshell there what he is offering. That's the new covenant from his perspective. But remember, a, a covenant is a binding agreement between two parties. And so here's what he has promised, all of those things. What's our obligation? What's our part of this deal? Well, simply put, we have to choose to accept the invite into the new covenant. That's the first step. We have to choose to accept the invite. It's there for every single one of you. No matter where you are, no matter who you are, no matter what your past is right now. As you listen to my voice, as you 
think through and you hear this, the invitation is made available to you to enter into God with this new covenant. And all the love, all the mercy, all the grace, all the forgiveness, the better life, all of that is available to you today. Our part is to accept the invite into the new covenant. And like the Israelites who were at the base of Mount Sinai, we need to understand as we accept this invitation what God expects of us. It's not as complicated as we make it out to be. Our part in accepting the terms of the new covenant are to live in relationship with God. We are to surrender our lives to him. And it's not complicated to understand, I promise. It really and truly is that simple. God wants to live in relationship with you. That's what we need to understand. And when you enter into the transaction of this new covenant, all that is asked is that you make God the most important thing in your life. Make God the most important thing in your life, and you're going to fulfill your side of the, of the covenant. Look at Jesus' conversation with a teacher of the law. This is before Jesus goes to the cross. He's doing a lot of teaching. The Pharisees, the Sadducees, they're all trying to trick him into, into some things. Look at the conversation found in Mark chapter 12, just a couple of chapters earlier. Starting in verse 28. One of the teachers of religious law was standing there listening to the debate. He realized that Jesus had answered well. So he asked, of all the commandments, which is the most important? Jesus replied, the most important commandment is this. Listen, O Israel. The Lord our God is the one and only Lord. And you must love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind and all your strength. The second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. No other commandment is greater than these. The teacher of the religious law replied, Well said, teacher. You have spoken the truth by saying that there is only one God and no other. And I know it is important to love him with all my heart and all my understanding and all my strength and to love my neighbor as myself. This is more important than to offer all the burnt offerings and sacrifices required by the law. Realizing how much the man understood, Jesus said to him, you are not far from the kingdom of God. And after that, no one dared to ask him any more questions. And I know this is a popular passage, and we read that a lot at LifeBridge. As a matter of fact, we, we probably quote this monthly because it is what our mission as a church hinges on, these two commands. But there's two things today that I want you to understand from this passage and this conversation that Jesus is talking about with this teacher of the law. And it starts in verse 32. After Jesus was questioned, and then he answers, the teacher of the law, and, and I got to think that, that, that this guy thinks he knows some things, right? He does. The teacher replies back to Jesus. Well said. 
I mean, like he's complimenting Jesus. He's like, you have answered correctly. He says, you have spoken the truth by saying there's only one God and no other. And I know it's important to love him with all my heart and with all my understanding and with all my strength. And to love my neighbor as myself. I know that, the teacher of the law says. This is more important than, than all the burnt offerings and all the sacrifices and everything that is required by all the other law. These two things are the most important. The teacher gets it. He knows that love of God, by showing love to the people in his world around him, that that is the most important thing to do. This is more important than all the rituals. It's more important than all the offerings and sacrifices required. You see, the people of that moment, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, they were, they were trying to still live under the old covenant. They quite possibly hadn't heard about the new covenant, but they didn't grasp it. They didn't understand completely what it was. And even though this teacher hasn't experienced the new covenant because Jesus hasn't died on the cross yet, he gets what is important to God. And as Jesus says in Matthew's account of this same story, all the other instructions, all the other laws, all the other commandments, everything else hinges on loving God by showing love to our neighbor. These Commandments are the foundations for everything else. And this teacher gets it. The second thing to point out is that Jesus responds to this teacher something very unique. He says to the teacher, after the teacher tells him, yeah, I know what's important. Yeah, Jesus, you spoke the truth there. Jesus tells him, you are not far from the kingdom of God. The, the kingdom of God, if you will, for just a moment, uh, as understood by the, by the Pharisees, was that God was going to come back in a mighty force. He was going to come back and he was going to establish his final kingdom on earth. And he would be the one that would come and conquer the Roman oppressors. And he would wipe the Romans from the face of the earth as he sets up his kingdom. That's what the Pharisees think the kingdom of God is all about. But Jesus is here. He, he's, he's here and he knows that the kingdom of God is something different. The kingdom of God is about God ruling in the hearts of people. Let me say that again for you. Jesus knows that the kingdom of God is about God ruling in the hearts of people. It's all about personal relationship. The kingdom of God, as Jesus is talking about here, it is not this, this final kingdom established here on earth. It's, it's God increasing his kingdom through people and living personally in their hearts. And so Jesus acknowledges to this teacher, to this man, God ruling in your heart is so close. You see, church, with the new covenant, 
There are three major differences between the old one established with Moses and the new one that Jesus ushers in. These differences are actually benefits. They, the differences that are there between the old and the new, they, they, they benefit you and I greatly. The three benefits for you, uh, for you and I, from the new covenant. In the old covenant, God had to be approached by a mediator. You, know, you and I, the average common person, we, we could not approach God on our own. Uh, seems foreign to you and I because we've grown up under the new covenant and that's all we've ever known is the ability to approach God personally. So we've always been able to approach God. We are able to do this be, because of this new covenant that Jesus has established. We don't need a, a physical human mediator. We have one in the name of Jesus. Hebrews 9.15 says that is why he is the one who mediates a new covenant between God and people. So that all who are called can receive the eternal inheritance God has promised them. And by the way, if you're listening today, we've all been called. The invitation is there. For Christ died to set them free from the penalty of the sins they had committed under the first covenant. He is now our mediator. Jesus Christ is the one who goes between us and God. And that's, that's done. That, that, that has been done. And in doing so, we have access to God directly. The second major uh, difference between the new covenant and the old covenant is that the new covenant works from the outside I mean, I'm sorry, it works from the inside out, right? Like, like that's how we are changed. We have a change of heart. In, in Jeremiah 31, verse 33, which we read where God is talking to, to Jeremiah and he's telling him about this new covenant, look at what he says. But this is the new covenant I will make with the people of Israel, says the Lord. I will put my instructions deep within them. And I will write them on their hearts. And I don't know about you, but I've known the difference between right and wrong for a very long time. I've known most of the commandments that I am to keep since I was a child. And even though I've known them, even though I've been familiar with them, I've struggled to keep them. And here's the biblical truth about this. Ephesians tells us that the acts of the sinful nature are obvious. I mean, my, my daughter, when she was six years old, um, she was able to correct my behavior or she was able to call me out when my behavior did not reflect that of Jesus. My point that I'm making with this is that I've struggled to be obedient even though I've had the knowledge of what is right and wrong. I've struggled to be obedient and I'm sure that if you're, you're paying attention right now, you too have somewhere along your life's journey as a Christian, as a follower of Jesus Christ, 
you too have probably struggled to be obedient at times. Why? Why is this? And I know for me, I, I used to always treat the list of rights and wrongs as obligations that I had to keep. I, I, I used to treat it as a checklist, if you will. And it was burdensome. And I failed a lot. But as my love for God has grown, He changes me from the inside out. As my focus has been more about loving God and showing that love to others, the instructions on my heart have become more and more evident. I've, I've stopped worrying about the checklist of things I have to do in my relationship for God. And I've just started focusing on loving God more and trying to show that love to other people. And as I've done that, the instructions that God has written on my heart have become more and more evident to other people. So quit focusing on trying to be perfect. Quit focusing on trying to keep all the commandments and start focusing on loving God by showing love to other people. The third difference and the third benefit for you and I feeds off of what I just said. We have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit in us. You see, that didn't happen under the Old Covenant. Under the Old Covenant, to be made right before the Lord, you had to go to the temple. You had to have the perfect sacrifice and you had to go to the temple and somebody had to do it for you. But because of the Holy Spirit under the new covenant, you are the temple. Your body, your life is where God dwells. That's how he's able to change us from the inside out. He's living within us. 1 Corinthians 6, 19. Don't you realize that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit? who lives in you and was given to you by God, you do not belong to yourself. For God bought you with a high price, so you must honor God with your body. To think that under the old covenant, they couldn't approach God. And if you read the rest of chapter 19 of Exodus, that's made very clear. But under the new covenant, God lives within us, and he is completely approachable. And here's why God living in us and desiring personal relationship with us is a big deal. As the nation rejects God, as the nation of Israel rejected God, there was corporate punishment. And as our nation rejects God, I get to still have relationship with him. As peers and other worker, co-workers and other people around me, as they, as they might reject God or be very fickle in their faith, I can still be in relationship with him. I can still love him with the entirety of who I am, no matter what is being asked of me by my government, by our laws. Under the old covenant, the entire nation was punished. 
the entire nation was allowed to suffer. But now, under the new covenant, it's personal. No matter what society chooses, I still have access to God. I know I've been talking a while, and I, I want to I close this up by, by telling you one more thing about, about Jesus. In Luke chapter 19, Jesus is making the triumphal entry into Jerusalem. Uh, the Babylonian rule didn't last too long. Other people came in. Finally, Rome is in charge. Uh, we'll, we'll get into Nehemiah coming back and building the walls and, 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 and reinforcing uh, uh, Jerusalem and, and Jerusalem coming back to life on some level. And the Jews made their way back there. The remnants of the Jews made their way back there. And, and, and now hundreds of years, 500 80 plus years have now passed. Jerusalem is a thing again. Jesus comes on the scene and he lives his life. He does his ministry and he's in the final days of, of his ministry on earth. It's the triumphal entry. And he's writing in, in verse 41 of Luke 19 says that Jesus weeps over Jerusalem. He weeps over the same city that Jeremiah was weeping over. In this moment of Jesus weeping, the new covenant hasn't come to fruition yet. Jesus weeps. He weeps because many, most in Jerusalem, don't get it. They will worship him today as he enters into Jerusalem and they will shout, crucify him tomorrow. They've missed it. They missed what Jesus was all about. What about you? Would Jesus be weeping over your life today? Until next week. <laughs>